The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hasman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart, and we're recording this episode on July 9th, 2018. This episode, we're going to talk about politicians pretending to be cowboys because it's Stampede Week in Calgary, where Ryan is right now reporting live from Calgary. We'll discuss the 18-year-old groping allegations against Justin Trudeau dating back to the early 2000s. We're going to share some of our first experiences on the campaign trail as part of our So You Want to Be a Candidate segment. But before that, let's delve into some nomination and political gossip, starting with the announcement from longtime NDP MLA Brian Mason that he will not run for re-election in 2019. Now, there had been some speculation for at least the past couple, couple of years since the last election about what Brian Mason's future would be. 2019 marks 30 years in politics for Brian since he was elected to Edmonton City Council in 1989. Uh, so it's he's definitely had a, a good run in Edmonton politics and provincial politics. Former NDP leader uh, stepped down as leader right before the 2015 election, uh, which ended up being fairly fairly good timing for the NDP. Rachel Notley was chosen as leader, led the NDP to form their first majority government in Alberta. And Brian Mason, uh, while some people had speculated that he might become Minister of Finance at the time or Speaker of the Assembly at the time, uh, he was appointed Minister of Infrastructure, Minister of Transportation, and government house leader, and he currently fills two of those roles, government house leader and minister of transportation. So uh, Brian's represented Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, well, first Edmonton Highlands in in, uh, 2000 by-election, and then later after 2004, Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, he's always won with with significant margins. Um, Highlands, Norwood was one, when when there were only two NDP seats in the legislature, Highlands Norwood was one of them. So it's considered a fairly safe seat. It has NDP roots going back to the 1980s when Pam Barrett uh, was the MLA for Edmonton Highlands and Ray Martin was the MLA for Edmonton Norwood. So it's it's considered to be a fairly strong NDP riding. Um, but Brian resign, retiring in the next election will leave some big shoes to be filled. I expect there's going to be a pretty hotly contested nomination race coming into 2019 in this riding. We actually speculated about this, I think, last show, did we not? Where we I think were, we did. We were just saying, you know, it's interesting that we haven't heard much from him. And we also kind of speculated that he would probably be one of those who remain in cabinet, even if he does indicate he's not running. You can't really kick Brian Mason out of cabinet. So um, interesting that it came out really almost as soon as we had published our episode. But, you know, I think everyone across the spectrum has nothing but good things to say about Brian Mason. And I shared of my own, I shared one of my own stories about him on Twitter. The question I have for you, Dave, is if, are you going to be announcing your intentions to run for the NDP in high, in, sorry, Highlands, Norwood? I, I didn't, didn't we cover this in like episode eight? Uh, I, I, so I live in Everton Highlands, Norwood. Uh, and so Brian is my MLA. Brian Mason is my MLA. And uh, and as I announced on uh, episode eight or nine or whatever, whichever episode it was, I I have n- absolutely no intention to run for the NDP nomination in Edmonton Highlands Norwood. Uh, def- definitely not. I, I don't really have any intention to run for politics in general, but definitely not in 2019. Are there are there any obvious candidates in Edmonton Highlands Norwood, Dave, that you think will 
will be unsurprising to people who've been paying attention? Well, the, the, the two candidates that come to mind that people have been talking about um, for the past few years, the first one is uh, Janice Irwin. Yeah. Uh, Janice ran against Carrie Diot in the federal election in Edmonton, Greasebaugh. Uh, she yeah. did quite well. Uh, she 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 had a quite strong finish in or did for me she she finished quite strong in the area of the Edmonton for federal Edmonton Greasebaugh riding that makes up Edmonton Highlands Norwood. It was kind of if you look at the Edmonton Greasebaugh results from 2015, uh, the giant orange chunk basically south of the Yellowhead it makes up most of Edmonton Highlands Norwood. Uh, so I th I think that uh, I mean I think. She would she would be quite a strong candidate if if she ran and if she does run for the nomination and wins a nomination. The other candidate that uh, or potential candidate that uh, that is mentioned quite frequently is Bill Moore Kilgannon, former um, uh, executive director of Public Interest Alberta. He's currently serves as chief of staff to I believe uh, Marlon Schmidt. I may I may I may have that he does Marlon Schmidt. Okay, the Minister of Advanced Education, uh, and he's also the former president of the Riverdale Community League, which is one of the neighborhoods in the uh, in the south portion of Edmonton Highlands Norwood. Right. Uh, so th those are the two names that, that frequently come up. Uh, neither of them have officially announced they're going to run, um, but I expect we'll hear something pretty quickly in the next few weeks uh, as, the, as that race starts to kick off. And I mean, who knows, there could be some other people who decide to, uh, to join the race as well. There is one rumor I heard, I don't know the validity of this, but um, MLA Estefania Cortez Vargas, his name has been sort of suggested to me as someone who is interested in uh, serving as an MLA in Edmonton. So maybe that one, I don't know. The I don't know. I think we'll probably hear a lot of these types of stories between now and whenever the nomination is held, because that is as safe a seat as there is for the NDP anywhere. You know, maybe, maybe short of the premiers, but she's not going anywhere. So, It'll be interesting to see. And all of our NDP friends listening, feel free to send us your rumors and innuendo and um, crazy theories because we would be happy to spread them. Yeah. One of my one of my favorite responses to the news of, of Mason saying he wouldn't run in, in 2019, like it was it was interesting because people on both sides of the aisle sort of came forward and congratulated him and and you know he's a He's been a positive force for politics in Alberta. I think my favorite message, though, came from uh, MP Amarjeet Sohi, who said, thanks for your service, Brian Mason. This is on Twitter. It's been a pleasure working with you over the years, and I know you couldn't have done it without your wife, Karen, alongside. Now that you've announced your retirement, I think we can both agree that I was the better bus driver they both drove for Edmonton Transit and I just loved it. And then if you look further down in the thread, in the thread uh, David Mitchell, jumps in uh he is the uh, mayor of bridgewater nova scotia and he says if we're going to compare who is the better bus driver i need to be included so it was just like one of these little delightful side conversations that happens around uh weighty announcements around politics that i really loved yeah yeah and i mean it sounds uh, maybe even cliche but i i do believe that that part of his career was foundational because when you're doing a job like that when you're meeting people every day and seeing them in their regular life it really does ground you into what normal people think, you know, normal people believe and how they how they live. And so I think having some um, blue collar roots has definitely never hurt any politician or any party. And the government really will suffer from a lack of his input, you know, regardless of the political spectrums, 
and you know positions he and I probably don't agree on a whole lot of end result policy, but I do respect his uh, career and his history. And I think he said somewhere he had been elected in ten straight elections. So you don't do that by fluke. And uh, congratulations for a, a career well served, Mr. Mason. Indeed, congratulations and good luck in uh, good luck in your retirement. So there are also two by elections coming up on July twelfth in the Fort McMurray Conklin district and the Innisfil Sylvan Lake district. And we've talked about these by elections before. They're both considered to be strong conservative ridings. Um, I'd put Innisfil Sylvan Lake and probably one of as one of the strongest conservative ridings in the province. Fort McMurray Conklin will will like very likely elect a conservative. Uh, but the NDP will likely do better there than they will do in Innisfil Sylvan Lake. Today we heard results of the advance polls. Uh, they held between, I think, July 2nd and July 7th. They had advance polls open in both of these districts. In Innisfil Sylvan Lake, the advance polls were about the same. Uh, the advance turnout was about the same as it was during the 2015 election. But in Fort McMurray-Conklin, they saw a jump in the advance turn, in the advanced uh, voting uh, mm -hmm. Elections according to Elections Alberta, 1,074 uh, voters voted in the advance polls in Fort McMurray Conklin. That's up from 719 who voted in the advance polls in the 2015 election. Uh, so that gives you an idea of, uh, you know, of, well, I mean, gives you an idea of the interest in the in the by-election, but also gives you an idea of the the work on the ground that's happening from the campaigns. Is there there are there is work at, uh, going into getting out the vote. And if you if you listen to one of our previous podcasts uh, in in our so you want to be a candidate segment, we talked a bit about getting out the vote, uh, and so I think we're seeing that a bit in uh, in Fort McMurray Conklin. It'll be interesting to see because I think that I get the impression that uh, advanced polls have become kind of a, more of a normal thing in Alberta. Uh, there's there there there's a lot more publicity, a lot more encouragement to get out to vote in the advanced polls. I think they're, instead of being one or two days, they're now three or four or five days long. Um, so I know a lot of people who go and vote in the advanced polls. Uh, the, the question is, is whether this will impact the actual turnout on election day. Are these people who would have voted on election day and just aren't gonna vote on election day? Uh, so so will, the, will, the, will the turnout on election day essentially be higher to reflect the turnout in the advanced polls? Or are these just people who would have voted anyway? Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Generally, turnout in by-elections is lower, um, but it'll be interesting to see how how low the turnout ends up being. I, I think the Fort McMurray Conklin advanced vote turnout is quite interesting because, I mean, just looking at it rising from the general election, uh, traditionally voter turnout in Fort McMurray in in a number of elections has been quite low. I remember back going back to that. I think it was the two thousand eight provincial election i think voter turnout in fort mcmurray was like 18 percent or something like that it was just absolutely abysmal um so voter turnout has always been always been kind of an issue uh up in up in up north in, the, in that district i think in the last election it was around 44 45 percent so it was actually close you know much better than 18 percent but still not fantastic yeah it is interesting because like you said there's generally a low turnout part of the province and higher turnout in a by-election, which is even lower turnout usually. So it could be that the two main campaigns are maybe mobilizing and organizing a bit more than historically. I, I actually don't know if the UCP campaign put more resources into that than it would have last time, but um, that would be my first guess, that one of the two or both are actually making an effort to get out the advanced polls. So we'll see. I mean, the UCP, at least I can speak to, is... 
is definitely going to be running a very sophisticated campaign in 2019. And so there aren't many chances to rehearse or to do like a dress rehearsal for the, you know, the GeoTV machine, the database, all that stuff. So it could be, I'm not suggesting it's all UCP turnout, but that would be part of it. Um, Cause yeah, you're right. It's a low turnout riding and it's a by-election. So who knows? But I, by the time we record again, we will know how it all turns out. Now, Dave, you had a prediction. I think it might've just been in a text with me, but do you want to speculate on how you think the two by-elections turn out? Uh, I do. And I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. I'll see if, see if I have it here in my notes and I don't have it here in my notes, but I think I'm trying to remember. I, I made a, a prediction of percentages for the, two by-elections. I think in Innisfil, Sylvan Lake, I had the conservative candidate winning with like 80% of the vote. But yeah, you were like 61 UCP. You had UCP winning them both, which I agree with. Yeah. You had like 61% for the UCP in Fort McMurray-Conklin and something like 80 or 82% in um, Sylvan Lake, Innisfil. I think I agree. I think those are probably good guesses. You know, we've gotten to the point where the federal party winning the Fort McMurray riding with only 60% is makes it perceived as some sort of weak sister riding, which I think is crazy. You know, in most parts of the country, that would be like a dominating, overwhelming victory. But Fort McMurray is a relatively low performer for the con both conservative parties, provincially and federally. So I think we'll eke it out with 60% as well. The NDP and the Alberta party and um, the UCP are all trying pretty hard. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like that. I guess it'll be interesting to see where uh, third place lands. You know, I, I speculate the Alberta party will finish third in both places. What do you think happens if they don't? Um, is there any chance the Alberta, the Liberal party passes them for third? Does any of this matter anyway? Because we're talking about splitting up the bottom 10%. I don't know. Uh, I think those are good points. I think in, in Fort McMurray, Conklin, uh, I think Jane Stroud in particular, the NDP candidate, is, is a particularly strong candidate for the NDP. Uh, and it being a district where the, uh, which, you know, a rural district that is not kind of a traditional rural district where the, where the, where the Conservative Party would be as strong. I mean, it's not as strong as, as the, uh, traditionally at least, as a, as a riding like Innisfil, Sylvan Lake. Uh, I think the NDP could actually do quite well in terms of, of placing a strong second. I'm thinking Gene Stroud, Mike, you could get around 30% of the vote. I wouldn't be surprised, just around 25 to 30% of the vote. Um, in terms of, of Innisfil, Civ, and Lake, it's it's going to be a total wash for the Conservatives. Um, I think it will be, I mean, it will be interesting to see who places third. I think in terms of the Alberta party, uh, if they were to place second in a riding like Innisfil, Civ, and Lake, that could help in terms of narrative building going into the next election. I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast about them creating the narrative that they are the uh, alternative, the conservative, moderate conservative alternative to the UCP. Um, but at this point, I, I don't really, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. By-elections can be, can be funny things uh, and can sometimes give you unpredictable results. But I, I do expect the UCP will win in both these ridings pretty handily. So we focus a lot on this uh, podcast on provincial nominations because the provincial election is coming up next spring, but also coming up next year in October 2019 is the federal election. So they're is a bit of news to talk about around federal nominations. Uh, not surprisingly, because it is Alberta, uh, most of the activity, almost all of the activity around nominations so far federally are federal conservative nominations. Now, uh, almost all of the incumbents, federal conservative incumbents, 
if they haven't, if they're not retiring in the next election, they've been acclaimed. So I believe all, almost all the conservative MPs, with the exception of a few who've decided not to run again, are acclaimed and and ran in uncontested elections, with the exception of Mike Lake in Edmonton, Wetaskiwin, who defeated a challenger uh, a few months ago. Uh, now, not running again that we know of uh, in the next federal election, uh, the MP for Yellowhead, Jim Eglidsky, is not running again. Uh, he's a conservative. He was initially going to run again, but uh, faced a strong nomination challenge. Uh, I guess facing a strong nomination challenge, decided he wasn't going to run. There are now five candidates running in the Yellowhead District for the Conservative Party nomination. Um, in Edmonton Centre, we had this week James Cumming, who ran for the Conservatives in the last federal election against Liberal Randy Boissonneau. He's denounced, uh, announced this week that he's going to be running again. Uh, in Edmonton Mill Woods, we have Tim Upple, who's a former Conservative MP. He's been nominated to run against Amarjeet Sohi, who's a Liberal MP and cabinet minister. Now, uh, Amarjeet Sohi narrowly defeated Tim Upple in the last federal election. I think it was like just, just around 100 votes. It wasn't even, I'm not even sure, I can't even remember if it was declared on election. I don't know, there was definitely a recount. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting, interesting race. Um, and I think it'll be highly competitive as well, because both of them are, are very well known and, and uh, seasoned political campaigners. Uh, what's going to be interesting to see is, is the conservative nominations in Calgary. In Calgary Centre, uh, Dustin Franks is running against, I believe, Tamara Loisel is her name. Uh, and that was a riding that was grabbed by, or was was uh, was won by Kent Hare, Liberal MP Kent Hare in the last by federal who? election. Kent by Hare. Yeah. Is he still well, in their caucus? Did... He's, he's still, yeah, Kent Hare, he's still a Liberal, M a liberal MP. He was, he was, he resigned or was resigned from, from, uh, from caucus, the, from the Liberal cabinet over, uh, over, um, uh, Sexual harassment allegations, essentially, or inappropriate behavior, is is I think is how how they put. It. I don't think they I don't think the the liberals use the term harassment, but but inappropriate uh, behavior from when he was a member of parliament. They actually lost two Calgary MPs for that. Yeah, that that, yeah, that was the next I was going to get to was in Calgary Skyview, Darshan Kang, who was another liberal MP and actually a liberal MLA with Kent Hare in the Alberta Legislature in the mid two thousands. Um, was also I don't know if he resigned or was was removed from the Liberal caucus. I can't remember the sequence of of events, uh, but and I, he's sitting as an independent now, and it's not quite clear. I mean, I, I don't know whether Kent Hare is going to run for re-election. I don't think he's announced yet. Um, but these two writings, like they seem like they're after these scandals, they seem to be pretty ripe for uh, conservatives to retake them. Yeah. A sidebar, somewhat. It's actually amazing to me that Randy Boissonnet is not in the cabinet today. They lost one in Calgary. They clearly aren't nominating anybody else from Calgary. I realize Energy Sohit is in, but it's not like they have a plethora of Alberta MPs. And I think to maintain the legitimacy of it being a national government, you would want to have some Alberta voices in the cabinet. So it's always kind of amazed me that they didn't give Randy something. I think he is a parliamentary secretary, or he was at one point, but come on, Justin Trudeau, throw the guy a bone. Edmonton needs, actually Alberta needs another voice in cabinet. Yeah, I've, I've heard speculation that there could be a federal cabinet shuffle coming up in the next few months. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Randy Boissonneau, who's a very hardworking and very talented 
uh, uh, politician from here in Edmonton, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him appointed to cabinet. In fact, I would I would encourage Justin Trudeau to appoint Randy Boissonneau to cabinet. I think he's a, definitely a rising star in the federal Liberal caucus, and he's now one of two MPs they have from Alberta, so they should put right. them both in cabinet. Exactly. If you had told yourself there'll be two MPs from Alberta and a national majority government, you would assume they're both in. And the other thing is just at the tactical level, Randy Boissonneau is in a real fight. I mean, Edmonton Centre is not a safe seat for anybody. So for him to be able to campaign next time and tell his residents that he is a cabinet minister and all that sort of thing is, is important. So if the prime minister is listening and if Randy's listening, maybe this will be the bump that he needs. So w one of the things that I've, I found interesting, and I was looking at the list of uh, conservative members of parliament in Edmonton and the Edmonton area when, uh, when James Cumming announced that he was running for the nomination Edmonton center, uh, they're all dudes. So, Conservative Party, you need you need to to work on your diversity in Edmonton. Um, yeah. I mean, I know Rona Rona Ambrose used to be an MP for Edmonton Spruce Grove and then Parkland uh, uh, Sturgeon River, but with uh, with her departure and the by election that elected Dane Lloyd last year last year, I believe, uh, now I think Linda Duncan, the NDP MP for Edmonton Strathcona, is the only woman who. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, we'll get we'll get to Edmonton Strathcona in a minute. Uh, but I think she's the only woman representing uh, representing Edmonton in, in Parliament. So even Alberta. So Shannon Stubbs. Well, there's Shannon uh, Stubbs. There's Michelle Rample and Stephanie Cousy and Rachel Harder. Yeah, but I think those are the four. Yeah, that's it. I mean, out of what thirty six seats. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I was kind of surprised that uh, I mean, when all those Conservative MPs were basically when when they were acclaimed for their nominations, uh, that there wasn't a move. I mean, first of all, I was surprised to see so many of them run for re-election because I think we usually see a little more churn than that, a little more turnover. But I was surprised to see there wasn't uh, uh, a concerted effort to get more women, um, have yeah. more women elected. Well, for sure. There was a lot of turnover for 2015. So a lot yeah. of the MPs are new. Yeah, that's, that uh, is true. There are a lot of MPs in, in Alberta are serving their first term. Well, and Adam, while I'm talking, maybe you could get the proper name, but you know, I think, this topic is important for the three of us, and we've been supportive of Equal Voice in the past. And a friend of ours, Lana, has launched something new. It's called uh, Parody Yeg. So it's it's kind of similar. It's got a similar philosophy to Equal Voice, but I, I think my sense was that Equal Voice um, was perhaps, and I, I'm I'm speaking with my own interpretation. Uh, right now was perhaps not aggressive enough in recruiting uh, women candidates uh, for the case of uh, Lana Cuthbertson, who is one of the founders of Parity Egg. So, uh, and they have so an event they, coming up, right? That's right, on July 11th, uh, which when you're hearing this pod is probably tomorrow. Right. If you listen to it right away, they're doing an event at CKUA Radio here in Edmonton to launch this new initiative. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, their website is parodyyeg.ca, I think is what it is. I mean, if you, if yep. you just Google search Parody Yeg, yeah, I definitely encourage people to, to look it up and support this organization. You know, I, I think with some irony that a podcast featuring three white dudes um, is talking about how we need more women in politics, but I think it's something we all agree on. And on the conservative side, yeah, I definitely agree. I, I do know that in center... Um, Martina Crory, sorry if I'm mangling her name, is running for the nomination with James. And I'm also aware of at least one woman who's preparing to run for the Edmonton Strathcona nomination, but she hasn't announced yet, so I'm not going to name her. But 
Yeah, you know, I I am not afraid to say that I do think it's a bit of a challenge. You know, you think four out of 36 is not great, um, even provincially. So when the two conservative parties merged, that brought their total female caucus size to two. They had uh, Sandra Jansen at one point, but now it's just uh, Angela Pitt and Leela. So I don't know what to say. I mean, maybe this is something that we should look to a future guest on, but I think we would all love to see 50% and the world um, could certainly use more female voices in the corridors of power. So maybe this is a topic for another show. Uh, or maybe we bring back our female counterparts to talk about it or, or something. But yeah, I, think, I, I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, uh, bring, bring and, them back and have Lana be a guest. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, I mean, it's, you know, when, I think it's, it is something that conservatives really, really need to work on. Um, and I mean, you do see there, there are actually, to give them credit, there are a lot of women running for conservative nominations across the pro UCP nominations across the province provincially. Mm -hmm. Um, but, and, and it's not, it's not impossible to have more women to get more women involved in politics. I mean, you just have, just have to look at the NDP caucus. I think around 45%, I think around 45% of the, of the NDP caucus in Alberta are women. Yeah. Uh, the cabinet has parity, um, or, or it's, if it's just, if it's not parity, it's very darn close to parity. Yeah. Um, so it, it you know it is something that, that if you do put a concerted concerted effort towards trying to achieve it is it definitely is something you can accomplish and I hope hope there you know if uh, if there are more conservatives elected in the next provincial election uh, God forbid I hope not too many more conservatives but I hope <laughs> many of them are women. <laughs> yeah, well, a friend of ours and a listener of the show, Natalie Pawn, um, had a piece in McLean's about this, and she also recently appeared in front of the House of Commons Standing Committee on the Status of Women. And uh, her, we'll put her remarks in the show notes, but she spoke about some of the challenges for women in politics, and they actually did a few days of these appearances from regular Canadians, not regular Canadians because they're all politically involved, but non-politicians. And it was actually pretty interesting. You know, I think there really are some obstacles that um, guys don't face and some of that doesn't need to be true so let's uh, let's decide that we're gonna make this a topic of a future show and in the meantime conservatives out there and female conservatives let's make sure we win some seats Calgary Stampede started this week in Calgary uh, and it is the season where politicians dressed from all political stripes We'll, uh, we'll travel to Alberta's largest city and pretend to be cowboys. Some of them will wear their hats, their cowboy hats on properly. Some of them will, uh, will wear them backwards and, and, uh, and make fools of themselves momentarily. Like brand new, uh, that, brand new has, premiers maybe from Edmonton? Yeah, and, uh, and, and brand new conservative leaders from Calgary, if we remember Stephen Harper from, uh, from about well, probably close to 15, 20 years ago. Talking about uh, the vest? Yeah, with, with the vest. Uh, uh, but uh let's put those two pictures up on our show notes th thankfully for th because of the internet those pictures will live on forever um i, I wanted to read uh, uh a quick uh tweet sent from michelle rimple uh calgary uh conservative member of parliament uh earlier this week okay she tweeted on uh july 5th stampede 2018 prediction trudeau shows up and announces some sort of Bud unbudgeted token funding in a feeble attempt to tell a city he's continually fudged over that he really likes us while wearing boots that have never kicked a turd. Okay, 
now, I mean, the first part of this is just total like partisan gunk, and that's just totally typical Twitter. But but the I, I want to focus on Michelle Trample's last point. While wearing boots that have never kicked a turd, most politicians in Alberta, most conservative politicians in Alberta, when they show up to the Calgary Stampede, I, I bet you none of most of them have never ridden, ridden a horse before, or kicked a turd, or ever lived on a farm. This is, it's so funny to see that, that, you know, that uh, even, even a member of parliament from Calgary, like, God, how many, I mean, it's it, one of the largest cities in the country. This is a, you know, this is an urban area. It's this kind of funny myth that if you're not from Alberta, you're not, I mean, you're not a real cowboy. Well, most 90% of Albertans, 99% of Albertans are not real cowboys. Maybe I, was, I was I, down, I was just going to say, I was, I was down in Calgary this weekend and went to the stampede and hung out with someone who has been to basically every stampede since she was born and she's in her thirties. And she actually told me it wasn't until a few years ago that cowboy boots were part of what you did at stampede. So I guarantee you there are millions of people in Calgary who've never kicked a turd. I had to scour my closet for some cowboy looking shirts. And the best I could do was plaid checkered patterns ish that can kind of pass. It's funny. I'm, I'm here now, as we mentioned, and, Walking around downtown, there seems to be basically like two or three uniforms that everybody wears. I mean, I I think we're a pretty heavily biased Edmonton podcast, so maybe some of this has to do with our built-in rivalry. I, I do think it's a cool event. Like, the whole city gets into it. The whole political establishment of the provincial and federal governments get into it as well. Yeah. And, you know, Edmonton would do well to have something like that where it's not just on the stampede grounds but it's everywhere like my hotel lobby is all stampeded out everyone when i was booking meetings last week everyone was sure to point out that they won't be dressed up they're going to be wearing cowboy boots and jeans you know yeah my edmonton uh partisanship kind of makes me laugh about kicking turds as well but it's pretty cool that they have something like this and uh you know i don't mind i don't mind that federal leaders absolutely have to come to Alberta for this week and that they all do. And, you know, I, I just think it's kind of cool and I can't imagine, you know, it being any other way. It's been like this my whole life. So good on you, Calgary. And I think you're right that not a lot of uh, wingtip shoes or, you know, MP shoes have kicked turds, but, uh, <laughs> Maybe maybe more should. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna go out tonight when we're done recording, and I'm gonna look to rectify that. I've got flip flops. I don't want to kick any turds. Uh (laughs) Yeah, try 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 not to kick turds with uh, with an open toe shoe. I I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to Calgary. I'm not. I didn't mean to Calgary bash or Calgary stampede bash. Bash because I actually enjoy the stampede. Uh, This year is the first year in like four or five years that I'm actually not gonna be able to make it down to Calgary. Uh, and for the stampede and I'm disappointed one of the things I like I mean I like I I I enjoy how the the whole city kind of get becomes part of it and gets gets participating in in stampede in their own way Uh, because we don't really have anything like that don't really have anything like that in Edmonton but one of the things I like the most about the Calgary stampede culture is their culture of pancake breakfasts and free barbecues and I really think as Edmontonians that is something that we should adopt and it's just what a great public relations tool as well. Like it seems that every organization and every politician uh, at every level has their own pancake breakfast, free pancake breakfast or free barbecue circuit. You could organize your entire week around eating, you know, eating free hamburgers and free pancakes, which just sounds like heaven to me. 
Uh, so, you know, we should get working on that at Edmonton. That is definitely something that, uh, along with the view of the mountains, that is definitely something that Calgary has, uh, has uh, better on Edmonton. I feel like we can easily solve for one of those things. Um, one thing I did want to point out uh, that I've enjoyed is, I don't know how if you guys follow the Premier's Instagram account. Yeah. But she, it looks like she's having a blast at Stampede. Like it's super, she did a zip line the other day and it was just really cool to see her. We've talked in previous episodes about how it's important if the NDP want to put a dent in anything campaign wise over the next year, they have to get Premier Notley out there. And if this is the thin edge of the wedge of her going out and meeting Albertans, then it's going to be a really fascinating campaign. And it's been fun to watch her for the last few days. That video of her doing the zip line is just gold. I mean, not many politicians would actually do that. Except, so. except she, like she goes down and she's like, oh, this, it's like her response is as she's going down this <laughs> insanely long zip line are just sort of like, wow, this is, this is great. And I would be like screaming my head off. Yeah. Well, I, 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 the camera was right there. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, I think she said in the media interview afterwards that one of the hardest, that was one of the, one of the hardest things she's ever done was not to swear as she was flying down the zip line. <laughs> Because it was being recorded on on the GoPro camera, that's great. Which I thought was great. It showed that she's a pretty good sport. So well, and I I think she must listen to our podcast because one of the things we advised them to do was to get her out there and to show her personality a bit more. Yeah. Um, because I don't think she's quite what most people think. You know, most non NDP, the types of people who would never consider voting NDP, probably don't realize that she is quite affable and charming and. You know, I think more Rachel Notley is definitely in their best interest. So you're right. Their Instagram account is great. And she really looks like she's been having fun. And uh, we'll see. There's still a few more days of Stampede. So maybe we'll see the other politicians up the ante and, like, ride a bucking Bronco. Or... I, I, I was just going to say, do you think we'll see Jason Kenny get, on a, get on, a, on a bucking Bronco or on the back of a bull or even a chuck wagon? That could be kind of fun. Come on, Jason. You can do it. <laughs> Ralph Klein once did the checks, didn't he? I remember him driving them around a, a lap of, on the track or something. Yeah, Ralph Klein did the chucks, I think, the day before he went and uh, threw money at the, at the homeless shelter. I think that was the thing. He went out to, uh, he was out uh, doing, uh, the, riding his, uh, his chuck wagon, and then, he, uh, and then, then that, later that night went to the homeless shelter. So maybe don't repeat that. And if you haven't lived in Alberta long enough to know that story, you got to Google it. Yeah, just Google yeah. it. We're going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week. ATB Financial. Guys, are you looking for new jobs? You don't have to answer. I know that's a sensitive topic. But if you were thinking of making a career change, I'm telling you there are lots of opportunities at ATB Financial. And I'll say this, full disclosure, I work here and I want to work with you. Um, but if you visit atbcareers.com, you'll see as of the recording of this podcast, uh, well over 80 job postings uh, in a variety of different categories. You could be a frontline bank teller, you could be a loans administrator, you could help us uh, prevent fraud, or you could join our creative agency, Channel 21, here in ATB Place in Edmonton. Uh, so if you're looking for a change or you're curious about what opportunities are out there with ATB Financial, visit atbcareers.com. Adam, why would uh, HIP with it young guy like you want to work at a bank what a what a stuffy black tie kind of operation is a bank anyway tell me about it 
That's a great question, Ryan. Thanks for asking. Um, yeah, I, I mean, ATB's got this pretty incredible reputation in the category of financial institutions for having a really progressive, supportive uh, culture. And it's true, we live by these 10 ATBs. There are values and there are things like have fun every day and be personally and fiercely accountable. And management here also believes in real work-life balance and integration. So. Um, we've got opportunities to work from home with all the great Google technology that we're using. And I, uh, I have some really busy days. I have some really tough days, but there isn't, uh, there isn't a morning I wake up and think I couldn't bear going to work. I love my job and I love working at ATB. So if you're looking guys, atbcareers.com, uh, and I'll even be a reference for Ryan, not for Dave though. I know oh. Dave gets up to all kinds of shenanigans. So... Moving on from Stampede Fund to something a little more serious in Canadian politics, uh, allegations, uh, 20 or 18, 18 or 20 year old allegations uh, arose this week or resurfaced this week uh, against uh, now Prime Minister Justin Trudeau about uh, a situation in the year 2000 where he, uh, he was accused of groping a, uh, a reporter in, a British, in, a, in the British Columbia town of Creston. Uh, that the story resurfaced when there was actually an editorial that was published in early in April, that it was an editorial from back in 2000. Uh, it was published in Frank magazine, which is an Ottawa based satirical magazine. It was the, the, the editorial was later sent to Warren Kinsella, who many listeners in this blog of the, this podcast will know a veteran liberal party, political operative, who's uh, kind of an online political activist and provocateur at this point. Uh, he posted it on his website and tweeted it. The story was picked up internationally uh, and appeared in BuzzFeed, CNN, the New York Times, and, and Canadian newspapers. And the, when the prime minister was asked about it, uh, he kind of had this kind of flat response that wasn't—I mean, it was a denial, but it wasn't—it wasn't. It, wasn't, it, was, it was basically a flat, a, fl a flubbed response. Now, uh, I mean, this kind of. I mean, for political watchers, it's kind of shock. I mean, it kind of shocked me to to see the prime minister's kind of flubbing response when he's been so strong on this issue, on issues of, of sexual harassment and sexual abuse uh, by his members of parliament, by his own members of parliament, so strongly since he's become leader of the Liberal Party. As you remember, going back a few years ago, he uh, ejected two MPs out of the Liberal caucus uh, we talked a little bit about Kent Hare earlier in this podcast. So he's taken a pretty hard line when it comes to his members of parliament in the Liberal caucus and it come, when it came to allegations of, of uh, sexual harassment or sexual in, in, improper, sexual, improper behavior. Uh, but when it comes to the actual prime minister, it, it seems to be a bit of a different, uh, a bit of a different line. And, and, and there's, so it seems it seems to be that there's consequences for others, but not necess not necessarily consequences for him. So, Ryan, do you think this is actually hurting Justin Trudeau? Well, I think it's definitely created a crack in the armor. You know, this is something that cuts right to the core of the Trudeau, the Justin Trudeau value or the Justin Trudeau brand. He was this modern day. Um, Chatelaine magazine, sort of touchy-feely, feminist, uh, compassionate guy. And he talked about, you know, the importance of um, 
raising your boys to be feminist and all this stuff. And I actually think that that's a big part of why this hurts him. It's kind of like when things cut to the core of who politicians are perceived to be, it's the most shocking. So I don't know how much there is left for guys like me to say about this, but I think the reference that I'll make is a piece that Robin Urbach put out on July the 8th, so yesterday in the CBC. And, you know, she points out that not only has he been sort of hypocritical and flat-footed on this, but even just the precedent of, you know, publishing the response without checking with women, or sorry, with the victim first, Justin Trudeau did that. In 2014, I believe it was, when the two NDP MPs, um, female MPs, put a complaint to the Liberal whip, and Justin Trudeau announced that those two liberal and male MPs were being kicked out. You know, the NDP whip was upset because the victims hadn't consented to any of this being public. So Justin Trudeau has built his whole career on being this icon of, you know, um, feminism. And, and I, feminism to me is not a dirty word at all. Like, I, I don't use that word as an epitaph against him. But he has set himself up as this icon. And so the response, first of all, it should never have been a surprise to anybody. The prime minister's office, the leader's office, his entire career had to know that that um, editorial was out there. Even if they didn't, on day one, being caught by surprise might have made sense. But his responses have been brutal all along. You know, he gets up there and he says, well, I've thought about it and um, I don't remember it being an issue and I'm pretty confident that it wasn't. Well, it's like, this wasn't about how you felt about it. And the the brazen hypocrisy of him saying he's kind of apologizing for something today that he doesn't remember being bad, but he does remember apologizing for before. Like, I don't want to sound too high and mighty because I do think the standards have changed and no one knows what happened. But the it's just pretty galling when it's him and when he is treating himself so differently than he has treated at least three members of his own caucus. And, you know, maybe Me Too is something that didn't exist in 2000 and it should have, but he's the prime minister today and his response in 2018 was pretty bad. And, you know, I, I guess maybe what we could do is just try to learn from this and look at what he should have done because this isn't the last time that this type of thing will come forward. Um, I do think that behaviors are being changed. You know, we've talked about this almost every episode of our podcast, I feel like, and everyone knows that this kind of behavior has to stop. I don't think he's a predator today, but clearly he did something back then that he apologized for in the moment. And, you know, I just reminded myself of maybe, maybe the most galling part for me of this whole story is even back then, his apology was not because he did something wrong or because he made her uncomfortable. His apology was because he didn't realize she's a reporter. That's a pretty low bar. It's a pretty appalling thing to say, even as a 28-year-old. And I guess it's frustrating. So the question was, is this going to hurt him? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't think it moved the needle a lot today. But these are the types of things that do begin to add up. And I think a seed of doubt has now been planted. When Chatelaine and CBC and the New York Times, and the BBC, and everyone around the world practically is reporting on this story that cuts so close to his core. It's definitely not a good day at PMO. 
And I can't believe that he stood there with Nahid Nanchi and Minister Sohid behind him and gave such a terrible response. You know, at least have at least have the guts to say today, without reservation, I apologize. You know, I'm gonna be phoning. I guess she said she doesn't want to be contacted, but I apologize to her privately. I apologize publicly. I was wrong. Instead, it was like, well, I thought about it, and I don't think I was wrong. Yeah, I don't remember any. I think you said I don't remember any negative interactions. And yeah, no, I thought it was quite a kind of a wet noodle response. And and for a politician who, I mean, as you said, is based so much of his. I mean, we we all so much of his of his political brand around being. Uh, you know, he's a modern day feminist. It's 2015, you know, like it's, that's kind of the brand he's tried to create around himself. Or I think he's created, actually created around himself. I think this, I was actually kind of shocked that he didn't have a better response and that he wasn't more remorseful. And, you know, instead of, of you know, actually confronting the issue and, and giving it, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody expected Justin Trudeau to resign as prime minister over this. Uh, but but to fact, the fact that he showed no kind of remorse or no, uh he, he could have he could have shown an he could have provided an example of of how to respond to this kind of right. thing, but instead he kind of just he just kind of flubbed it, and uh, wow. I thought that was kind of disappointing. Was actually quite disappointing. And against his own examples, you know, he's treated yeah. himself far differently than he's treated his other MPs. And we don't know the story. Maybe with the other three, or at least the other two, there was something much more severe. But it's, it doesn't smell good. And I guess yeah. at the end of the day, that's all we can really judge these things by. So moving on to our So You Want to Be a Candidate segment. Now, it's been a lot of fun for me to talk about some of the things involved with running for office and running for a nomination. We've had some good audience participation. Uh, we're kind of feeling like the segment may be close to having run its course. What I want to do, first of all, is make the offer to anyone listening that if you do have questions or comments or tips, or anything re uh, relating to running for office or running for a nomination that you'd like us to discuss, please do share the questions online, either through Twitter or through email, because we're, all, we're open to these discussions. And we certainly are not the only ones who know about this. There's a lot of people who know more and have actually won uh, difficult nominations and stuff like that. So we're, we're happy to keep the conversation going, but we're going to throw it back to you, audience. But for today's segment, we just wanted to have a quick conversation. Now, uh, the two of you have been involved with campaigns, and so have I. Now, do you guys have any really great or funny or terrifying experiences or, you know, things that you've experienced as a volunteer on a campaign? How about you, Dave? So my, going back, my first campaign, my first experience on the campaign trail was actually in the 1993 provincial election. I was uh, delivering flyers for a progressive conservative candidate. Uh, what? Yeah, I know. In the 1993 election, where the Liberals did really well. Now, this was because my mom was working for someone, and this uh, this couple in uh, in, a, in Mournville who ran a real estate company, and they're very, very nice people. Uh, but the the woman was a very strong progressive conservative, and uh, so I think my mom kind of got talked into uh, talked into having me uh, me volunteer, and I delivered flyers and uh, we got free pizza at the end of the day and I think I was like 10 years old and it was it was a lot of fun and I had no idea what was going on uh though I think my parents actually voted liberal so uh you know they they undid my my work and and the liberal candidate won won in that riding now my my first real experience campaigning on on the campaign trail uh was during the 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 year before and then during the 2000 provincial election or 2001 provincial election here in Alberta and 
it's basically one of the reasons why I got involved in politics. It's my kind of my first taste of of getting involved in in party politics. My grade nine social studies teacher Andrew Rajinsky, uh, and this is, I was in high school during during this election, but but he'd been my grade nine social studies teacher, probably one of the great best teachers I've ever had, uh, and excellent social studies and English teacher in Morinville, and he ran for the Liberal Party in the Redwater District. And so I got involved in his campaign when he decided to run for the nomination. And uh, and I did everything from, I did a ton of door knocking across from Morinville through the Sturgeon Valley, all the way up to Smoky Lake and Newbrook and Egremont and and uh, and everything in between Bonacord and Gibbons. And, and we did a ton of work. I, I spent a whole summer uh, volunteering, going up and, and door knocking, going to uh, to rodeos and parades and doing the whole thing. And it was great. It was so much fun. Uh, and, uh, and it was a great campaign. Uh, that's actually where I, one of the, one of the first times I actually had got to talk with Randy Boissonneau, who's now the member of parliament for Edmonton center, because Andrew Rajinsky was also, had also been one of Randy's teachers when he was in, he was in high school or junior high. Uh, so we were working on E-Day doing phones, get out the vote on E-Day. So that was, that was a lot of fun. So it's kind of cool to see someone who, when I was just getting involved uh, to have met someone who would you know, later become a, a member of parliament. But it was a fun campaign and I got to meet tons of people. We, we didn't win and we didn't win on election day, not surprisingly. That was the, the election that, that Ralph Klein had his big, it's Ralph or, Ralph's or welcome to Ralph's world landslide. Uh, the, wasn't, the ride, the, wasn't the campaign slogan Ralph's team? Ralph's team, that's right, yeah. So it was it was uh, Dave Broda who was the conservative for the, the PC MLA for that area. And he was- this like is, Dave Broda. Yeah, well, you know, not quite. Uh, and D- Dave Brody, he, he was a, he was a nice guy, and he was always nice to us at uh, at, ca- at campaign events, uh, at, and during uh, election events when he saw us. The the riding had previously been liberal. It was represented by Nick Taylor, uh, and then Marianne Balsley, and then uh, uh, Dave Brody had won it in the '97 election. So he was running for re-election for the first time. Uh, and even though the riding had, you know, a lot of traditional longtime liberal voters it wasn't enough to overcome the uh the ralph wave but i you know it wasn't anything with it we that we did i thought we ran it ran an excellent campaign and i think we got around like 35 or 36 percent of the vote which for a, a liberal in a rural riding was actually actually quite good um so that was kind of my first that was my first experience c- campaigning and i've done uh, you know i've been involved in different campaigns uh mostly in the city uh for uh uh city council and, and, and some liberal candidates. I, I volunteered with Lori Blakeman, uh, did get out the vote on one of Kevin Taft's campaigns in Edmonton Riverview. Uh, and uh, so I've had kind of a lot of experience, but really that first campaign in the, uh, was, the, was the one that really stuck in my mind. Uh, I mean, the only thing that could really, would really match it was uh, being involved in Don Iveson's mayoral campaign, his first mayoral campaign in, uh, in 2013, which was such an awesome experience and uh, such a great group of people to, uh, to work with. So my my foray into uh, into electoral politics, being involved in campaigns, actually it starts in 1993, if you can believe that. My uh, my aunt, who is who has since passed away, was uh, hugely involved with the provincial Liberal Party, and she worked hard to get Howard Sapers elected in the Edmonton Glenora electoral district in 1993. He beat. Uh, Gwen Harris by a margin of 2,600 votes. Uh, so it was a pretty close one. And uh, well, I guess it wasn't that close. But in any case, that was sort of my my first exposure to electoral politics. I was 13 years old and my aunt was really passionate about campaigns. 
And then, you know, I always sort of paid attention to politics, but didn't really get involved until Don Iveson's first campaign to run for city council. Um, I don't think it's any secret to, you know, close friends of the pod that I'm pretty close to Don and to the person who managed that campaign, Chris Henderson. So I was like involved in some of the planning around communications and I, I passed out uh, leaflets and, but it didn't really get exciting for me until Don's first run for the mayor's chair in 2013, where I got to be part of the campaign cabinet and manage the communications and some of the advertising stuff online. I was a, it was a tremendous experience. And I think probably my favorite day from that campaign, um, there were two. One was um, Green Sunday, where in one day, we distributed thousands of signs across the city that had been requested in the lead up to sort of the campaign period. And I remember people being like, Where's Don, where are Don's signs? I'm not seeing his signs. He's going to lose the election. There's no signs. And, and Henderson was the campaign manager on that one. And he was like, you just wait. You just wait. The signs are coming. And, and we blitzed the city in one day. That was incredible. And then on uh, Community League Day during that campaign, I actually got to drive all over the city with Don. Every corner uh, of the city of Edmonton from Horse Hills to, to Capilano to Riverdale. And I was helping him do his social media messaging that day. So I was in the car. Uh, as his comms person. We had a, a great photographer with us named Owen Murray, who was shooting photos that day, and Marilyn Hooper, who was Don's EA when he was a counselor and worked in the mayor's office in his last term as well. Uh, it was really fun just cruising around, meeting Edmontonians and and eating a lot of hot dogs. Gosh, there were a lot of hot dogs that day. But it was a fun experience, and I, I can see why campaigns are so addictive for people. Great. Yeah. I, my first real campaign experience was probably in the 2000 Canadian Alliance leadership. So I got involved before that. I was family or I was a friend of Luke Day and Logan Day. And through that, I got to know their dad, who was the provincial treasurer at the time, Stockwell Day. And so I was in either third or fourth year university. And I got involved with the PC Association in Edmonton, Glenora um, in 2001. Drew Hutton actually won the seat for the PCs over Howard Sapers. That was, that was how I kind of got started. And then when Stock ran for leader, um, well, I got involved a little bit before that for the referendum. If you recall, the two parties did a vote to decide if to merge or not. So a lot of us were selling memberships for that. And my... You know what? I think my most fond memory of the 2000 leadership was on the first ballot day. So the way it worked back then was, uh, if nobody achieved 50% on the first ballot, then there was a runoff two weeks later. And I remember it was in—I want to say Red Deer. It was definitely at an Earl's, and Hal Danchilla had a group of us young punks. I was probably 20. There was probably 10 or 15 of us, and Hal was kind of this mythical legend even then. And I remember him kind of holding court and just telling us, you know, guys, it's going to be okay. Um, we're not going to win today, and we're probably going to finish second. But as long as we're within, I forget what number he said, like 10% or something of Preston Manning, you know, then we'll be okay on the second ballot. So he was like, you know, don't worry. He was probably just trying to, 
manage the expectations of a really green young team. And um, I'm pretty sure this is at the old Earls and Red Deer, but then we went on to Calgary. I think that's how it went. That old, remember the old Earls and, Earls and Red Deer? It had like a jungle theme. There was like plants and parrots oh, and stuff. Big parrots and stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think I remember yeah. you talking about burned into my mind so if you recall we get down to the telus convention center in calgary and uh long story short stock actually came in first place i think he was ahead of preston by like eight points or something which was unbelievable you know it's hard to remember at the time just what a long shot that felt like preston manning was this you know icon of the federal right and he had given the big speech he had kind of launched the unite um, the Unite Initiative with his Think Big, and they were just crestfallen. Like I, I remember specific people I won't name, just looking like like Santa Claus died that day. Like they were just shocked and sad, and we were just jubilant. Like it, it's the same kind of memory I have of like the 06 Stanley Cup Finals winning Game Five. It was so much fun. And then of course two weeks later, it was in Toronto for the final vote. But when you taste a big win, maybe this is how people get addicted to gambling too. You know, one of the worst things that can happen to you is to have a big win earlier in your political career because then you're hooked forever and you try to recreate that high. And sort of like at the roulette table, I don't know if statistically those highs are very likely, but you know that they're possible. So you just keep coming back. So I'm being a bit sarcastic about that, but not totally. Um, when you have an early win, it really just creates brain pathways that need to do that again. And it's super fun. I've actually served on uh, two different, this is my other story, two different national campaigns. The first time in 2000, I was basically a Sherpa, they call it, like the luggage boy. And one night after being on the road, and I honestly don't remember where we were, it was really late. And me and the other Sherpa, our job was to bring luggage to everybody's room. So we were tired. And I get to my room and I punch the card in or whatever. And I walk in and there is a person, a woman, on the bed watching TV. And I probably dropped my suitcase and she didn't really scream, but sort of screamed. And it was a national reporter, like, a, like an anchor, uh, someone very famous. And I was like, oh my goodness, I am so sorry. Everybody was fully properly dressed she'd probably only been in there for five minutes but for whatever reason because keep in mind kids this is like 20 years ago maybe the technology for cards was new or something but they must have just given me the wrong one um so i was just appalled i probably turned all sorts of shades of red and ran away um i'm gonna tell one more story this is from 2008 there was a time when the conservative party campaign had two buses one was the leader's bus and one was the media bus. So Stephen Harper and all the staff were on one bus and then reporters were on the other one. Um, there was a night when the leader's bus broke down. So I was driving a reporter. He had to do a media hit and we were in a minivan. And we were catching up from one town to the next town. And so me and this reporter were like maybe an hour behind the bus. And I get a call. And now, like, I'm not very sneaky. I could never be a spy. People could read it on me. I get a call saying the bus is having some problems. And we had just made a big deal about Stefan Dion's bus breaking down. So they're like, Ryan, you got to go a different way. 
And by the way, don't react to what I'm saying. So I'm like, okay, so I'm holding on to the cell phone. Probably so obvious because I don't have a very good poker face. But um, I said to the guy, you know, we got to go a different way. They're telling me there's some traffic problems. And so I just asked him some questions about his career. I just got him talking about himself. And he kind of leans the seat right back and puts his feet up. And he just, and so we went around. We went on some Quebec back road, gravel road thing. And we went around. And then they called me and said, okay, the bus is good. And the reporter never even knew. But that was my moment of like James Bond behavior of sneaking around, going on side roads. Also, the, a journalist who I won't name didn't realize that one of the Harper buses had mechanical problems. And you know, when you're in a campaign, you think that matters. Looking back now, probably didn't matter quite as much as we thought, but in the moment it sure does. So it's good memories now. It was a little bit stressful at the time. I mean, I think uh, it, it may not have mattered, but it probably would have been a story. So yeah, you did the right thing. Definitely. Yeah, no, that's a great that's a great story, Ryan. You you were yeah. you, you were a conservative hero that day. <laughs> Remember the Dion bus and the Dion plane? It like barely yes. fly, and it was like pumping out smoke. And oh man, for 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 such a nice guy and such a smart person, like the Stefan Dion campaign was such a dumpster fire. Like, yeah. like I mean, no wonder they almost lost all their seats. And then Michael Ignatieff, you know, let them lose even more. Jeez. Anyway. But that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks for sharing that with us, Ryan. All right, fellas, we're going to open the mailbag and blaze through these questions quickly in the interest of time. I'm calling this the Dave Berta speed bag. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Now that it's July, we're allowed to blaze, aren't we? That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's almost legal. So our first question is from Brett Lambert, and he says, he asks, how much faith do you place in the polls in being an accurate predictor of the next provincial election? 2012 was wrong, 2015 was right, and they got Nenshi wrong in 2017. So what's your hot take, starting with you, Dave? P polls are a snapshot of what someone, a, gr a group of people were thinking last week. Uh, they're not necessarily what's going to happen a year from now. So they're not necessarily always great indicators of what's going to happen in the future, but they're snapshots of how people feel now. Great. Ryan, what do you think? I think polls are like statistics. Any one particular observation doesn't tell you a whole lot, but the trend is what matters. When you start to group polls together or you see the same thing happening in more than one, then you have to take notice. We all know the examples of when polls um, have been wrong, but I think when they all agree, there's probably something to it. Yeah, and, and not all polls are created equally, so look at the methodology. Not all polls is how Dave ends that one. Here's our next one from Dave Phelan. <laughs> Why does Jason Kenney never talk about his experience as an MP or as a member of Harper's cabinet? Was he born again when he got his boots and pickup truck and entered provincial politics? Ryan, let's start with you. Dave, are you trolling us? Dave, <laughs> are you trolling us? I'm going to mark you down as trying to be funny because I don't think one of the problems with Jason Kenney is that he never talks about his federal experience. I think that's a fairly well-discussed part of his experience. Great. What do you think, Dave? J Jason Kenny always talks about his federal experience, like to the point of too much. So I, I don't, I don't think this is an issue. All right. Great. Uh, next question comes from Stevie Mac. Why do we never hear stories about discord within the NDP caucus over support for pipelines? Are these rookie MLAs just that disciplined? Have they all been converted to pro oil sands? Is Notley just that beloved, or do media just prefer to focus on disagreements within? the UCP. What do you guys think? Dave? 
the caucus discipline in the the NDP caucus is extraordinary. I don't think we've had any major bozo eruptions from NDP MLA since the last provincial election. Um, they are marching in line. They are pro pipelines, uh, <laughs> pro oil sands, yeah. and uh, the NDP have always been pro pipelines and pro oil sands as far oh, as yeah. the MLAs are concerned. Oh. Uh, and I don't think that's going to change. I think that uh, you know points to. You know whether you agree or disagree with uh, with their position on the pipeline points to Rachel Notley for for uh, keeping her uh, her party in line because uh, it's I mean it's quite impressive pol politically speaking. So Dave Cornway yeah. drinking the bitumen Kool Aid. What do you the orange about? bitumen Kool Aid? Right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. We've talked about this on the show before. I give Notley and the leadership full credit for this because they've reduced people like me to just insisting that I secretly know that they don't like pipelines because none of them have actually broken ranks during this this session, this parliament. It's very impressive. She must have put the actual fear of um, a secular creator because they probably don't believe in God uh, into them. Oh, that's, so, a, <laughs> that's a big assumption, Ryan. Small G God or whatever force they pray, the, the, you know, to the tofu kingdom. Yeah. But no, seriously, they're very disciplined. It's remarkable. It really is. I had yeah. expected there to be a lot more bozo eruptions, and I guess some of us are still waiting, rubbing our hands together with glee. But they're starting to run out of time. So backbench NDP MLAs who are upset about pipelines, come on, let's hear it. Like You're running out of time to really tell us how you feel. There's an election coming. Maybe we will hear more. Hey, it's a frequent flyer, guys. Mountain Ted has a question. He says the UCP candidate race in Airdrie Cochrane is crowded with candidates without a provincial track record. Did any of these cross your sights in the past or are they complete unknowns? Do you guys know some of the folks in Airdrie Cochrane? I'd have to uh, consult Dave's website to know who they are. Uh, <laughs> off, the, off the top of my head, uh, I mean, one only one of them, because I read a news story about him today in the Cochrane newspaper, is uh, Morgan Justice Nagel. I think his middle name is Justice, so signs say Morgan Justice, uh, uh, which kind of sounds like a made-up name, but his, I assume it's probably his real, real name. Uh, uh, he used, I think he used to work, he's a, he's a town councillor in Cochrane, and he used to work for the Manning Centre. Uh, other than that, I don't really know much about any of the other candidates, though I think there, it is a pretty crowded race. I think there are four or five candidates running. So what I'm hearing you say is check daveberta.ca for more info on who's running Absolutely. CP nomination in Airdrie Cochrane. Yeah. Great. Our last question comes from Spencer Bennett. He wants to know thoughts on candidates who've never lived in a riding before but decided to run in the campaign. Anyways, we had a nomination meeting and a candidate was asked what he has done to improve the riding. He said nothing, but he claims to be well connected. Ryan, what do you think about this? People running where they don't live? I think that all is fair in love and war. I have no issue with this at all. Um, each member in a nomination gets to decide if that's important to them or not. I think people might be surprised at how many politicians in all parties at both the federal and provincial level actually don't live in their ridings. And I don't think it has to matter. And sometimes it does. And Spencer, if it matters to you, then you get to decide if you're going to support this candidate or not. But in theory, it doesn't really bother me. Yeah, I think this is a it, it's a total non-issue. I mean, there's there's so I mean, I can think of so many examples of of uh, MP members of parliament or MLAs who don't live necessarily live in the riding. So, you know, most of them, if if they you know if they 
run into riding. They usually live in the same city or the same general area, but it's not uncommon to have uh, have people who live across the street run in the riding that lives that that's, that starts down the lane. I mean, there's well, all sorts of reason people pe- reasons that people will run in different ridings. Yeah, and sometimes people get elected in ridings that are hours away from them, um, or that they've barely ever visited or don't speak the language of, and they still sometimes work out. Sometimes it doesn't. So maybe it's because I'm an insider and I. I tend to be jaded about this, but it doesn't like it, when I say it doesn't bother me. I'm not saying it isn't an issue for them to manage, but just like any other qualification or issue, the voters know, and I think it's baked into their overall decision. And all is fair in love, war, and politics. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you, if you uh, want to make this an issue about a candidate running in your riding who might not live there, make it an issue. Uh, but again, I don't really personally. I don't really see it's a big issue. Great. Well, that is it for our questions. Listeners, if you have any, you can email us at podcast at daveberta.ca, and there's a fairly good chance we'll blast through your question quickly on the show. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart, for helping us to put this episode together once again. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network is growing. Uh, just recently, last week, uh, they welcomed four new podcasts into the fold. Uh, one of them is a wrestling podcast called Best Wrestling Podcast, all about the WWE and wrestling nostalgia. There's a great other show called City of Champions, which is an interview show where Shane Fennessy interviews interesting people doing exceptional things in Edmonton. The Networker's Quest is all about the entrepreneurial journey of Matt and Colette Fitzgerald who they themselves are on a fascinating journey. And then there's the repodcasting uh, show, which is a monthly show in which two cousins cast different actors in well-known Hollywood movies. So you get to reimagine things happening in Hollywood. Uh, it's really exciting to see the network grow. Visit albertapodcastnetwork.com for these new network members and all the other Alberta Podcast Network shows. You can also send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter at, at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca, or you can check out our new Instagram page, which I just created today at uh, DaveBerta on Instagram. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah.